when people were seeing what I was putting out there, where it was like really cool people getting married with really stylish, non-typical wedding outfits in non-typical wedding venues at the time. This was like before ranch weddings were really popular. Then that's the sort of people that were attracted to my work, right? Like, like attracts like to, to a big degree. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Brands at Book Show, where we help creative service-based businesses build their brands and find more clients. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today's guest is serial entrepreneur, Braden Flynn. Braden has not only built successful photography businesses, but is also the founder of Film Supply Club, a membership site for film shooters that provides deals on all sorts of photography resources from film to cameras and accessories. During today's episode, we explore how Braden got started as an entrepreneur, things that have made both his photography businesses and Film Supply Club successful, and a few of the differences in marketing two very different types of businesses. We cover quite a few things as well, from book recommendations to how he books high-end clients. Be sure to check out the show notes at davianchrista.com for the resources we mentioned during the episode, and I want to hear from you. Let me know what kind of content you'd like to see on the Brandset Book Podcast as we move forward. To leave your feedback, head on over to the Davy and Krista Facebook page and send us a message. You can also DM us on Instagram at Davy and Krista. Now, on to the episode. All right, welcome back to the Brands That Book Podcast. I'm here with photographer Braden Flynn, founder of Braden Photography and more recently, Film Supply Club. And I was fortunate enough to be on Braden's podcast recently, um, The Photo Report. So uh, definitely something that uh, you should check out, but welcome, Braden. Thanks so much, stoked to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to continue the conversation. Really enjoyed chatting with you a little bit about, I feel like everything from website design to marketing. So I am uh, very interested in hearing about how you built your business because you built this outstanding wedding photography and photography business, but then you also have the Film Supply Club, which I wish uh, I knew about back when we were we were shooting. So excited to d- dive into both those business endeavors and just talk about things that you've learned throughout the last couple of years from uh, both business businesses, especially since one is a service-based business and the other one is mostly around a product. So excited to dive into that with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I love talking all things business. Yeah. And I think that's why I enjoyed our conversation so much is obviously have a a business mind on you. But for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, could you just tell us where you got started? I'm assuming that uh, Braden Flynn or I'm sorry, Braden Photography was the, the first business. Correct. Yeah. So I was actually, I went to school for business out in California at USC and studied entrepreneurship there. Actually was in commercial real estate right out of school. And Left that to be a youth pastor, which was a very lucrative choice at a small <laughs> little small little church, but with the idea that I could always get back into this other thing if I wanted to. But you know, it's like you're only young once, and you can relate to kids more, like high school kids, when you're, you know, closer to that age. And I I just sort of took that as 
I just felt called to be going there. So I did that. And while I was doing that, I was in, I was also shooting photos. I grew up around a lot of music. My dad was a drummer and just brought me up around tons of good music and going to concerts. And so I had friends in bands and I started shooting photos of friends in bands and everything that I was doing, I was just taking pictures of. I was really active snow. I was a big snowboarder, surfer, skater, all of those things and injured myself a lot, like put myself <laughs> in a coma, injured myself and oh, wow. like, fractured places of my body that shouldn't be fractured. And the, so I ended up having to slow down and not do that. So instead of participating in a lot of these things, I started taking pictures of a lot of those things. And that's, that's sort of where the, the love of photography came around. But while I was doing the youth pastor thing, the head, like, I don't know, executive pastor was suggesting to do more of a bivocational thing to, because at a small one service little church, like, how are you going to be able to live and have a family and, and stay doing this versus have to transition? So I was doing that. And I think going into my business mind is I am, I have really high capacity. I've, I've learned that I am not normal in a lot of ways. And, and with that, I am, I say yes to just about everything, right? I used to. And it's like, I also have the mentality. It's like, Hey, if you want to do something, just, you need to tell everyone about it. So it's like, if anyone asked me to do anything, like, yeah, sure. And I would then figure it out on the way. Like my very first photo class, I mean, I was already shooting for magazines and I was self-taught up to a certain point, but I have, after I went out of got done with my main college, I actually went back through a photo school and took all of, I wanted to print in a dark room. I wanted to really understand the, the idea behind making a photo versus just taking a photo. Like it's, like it's really easy to take a lot of pictures and come away with a good one, but it's a really a whole different ballgame when you approach something and you actually create or curate or, you know, you are coming up with the idea of what you're wanting to capture. You're manipulating the lighting. You are manipulating the subject. So you get what you want. And those are the, the things I wanted to shoot commercially and really understand all. Like I hadn't, I had guessed around lighting. I mostly shot natural light, but I wanted to understand how to light, how to shoot everything that I would need to shoot. And yeah, so I don't know. Basically, that was a long way to say like I, while I was taking my very first class shooting four by five, which I'd never shot printing, you know, I got asked to shoot a high rise building and, you know, I charged them $2,500. I'd never shot something like that before. It took me probably shooting that building 15 different times at different times of the day, printing through, you know, like hundreds of sheets of paper. But, you know, it's like, that's more of the way to say, like, I would just say yes. And then I'll figure it out along the way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, is that, I guess that focus on the approach and is that what drew you to film in particular? I, I always thought it, when we transitioned from digital to film, I thought I was a very mediocre digital photographer and a pretty good film photographer. And I think what film taught me was that you have to slow down with each frame and there's not just this, you know, tendency, at least for me, it was, you know, hold the button and, and hope for one of them to turn out. Right. And you, and you can't do that with film. So do you think that's a little bit of what attracted you to film? Film initially, oh, my favorite, favorite photographer was old school Annie Leibovitz. Not, I mean, I still love her current work, but like when she used to be on tour with the Rolling Stones and that sort of like Bob Gruen and all of these older rock photographers, because that's something I was passionate about shooting myself and just the grain, the grittiness, the stuff that looked like it was shot in, you know, the 60s, like old photos of Bob Dylan 
those are the things that really captivated me and that's what I was drawn to. So even today when people ask me, like, why do you shoot film? Or, you know, you've got all this other, like there's amazing <laughs> digital equipment today sure. that, that you can manipulate to look like it's, you know, I've done tests where it's like, can you tell if this is film? I generally can, but then there's some times where it's like, that's pretty dang close, you know, but there's other reasons behind why I still would prefer not to manipulate images because I hate sitting in front of the computer. But I think back to it is I was into film aesthetically because I really loved it. And like when I first started shooting, that's all that there was. As digital came out, and really as I got into weddings, which we can get into as well, then it, like when thing, I, I had the first 10D, the Canon 10D, you know, and was playing around with that. And it was pretty incredible what it could do. So then it become this, this nuance of a new thing that was like not as many people had and to be able to do this and work with lower light. I mean, I remember shooting 1600 ISO. It, you know, it was like the photo was bad, you know, where today you can shoot it like a thousand is or a hundred thousand iso and it's incredible some of these cameras that's a long answer to say i started out as film film is why i'm back at film and why i originally shot film was because of the aesthetic yeah and i want to jump into you know how you built your wedding business here in a second and you serve a very you know high-end you know luxury so to speak clientele um so i definitely want to dive into that but when did film supply club come along and again for people who aren't familiar uh can you just give us an idea of what film supply club is yeah film supply club it is the easiest way to explain it is it's sort of like how costco works you pay a, a small membership fee that I made it like as small as I could where like if what I found over the years, no offense, all you photographers out there, cause I'm one as well, is that photographers are not very good at math. And so that's, <laughs> that's been the biggest hard part to be like, Oh, I'm paying money up front to save, like to not then realize how much money they're actually saving down the road. But I made, what I did was I made it a small membership fee and then pass on the savings. So as a member, then you get wholesale pricing on film. So I'm making the tiniest, tiniest margin on the film outside of like, I'm having to purchase it, warehouse it, fulfill it. I mean, all, you know, buy the boxes, buy the brand, all of that stuff is a cost, but I'm making like the tiniest margin on the film and then charging just a small membership fees ultimately to save a ton of money for when I first launched for my friends and for, you know, all of that. But yeah, it's been fun. We have something around a thousand members in the community and you know i've got a youtube channel that has a bigger subscription base and yeah just trying to serve the community and all that that was what it is yeah you've been turning out a ton of uh youtube content and i was just telling you how i admire you for that because there's so much that goes into producing uh, a video and producing video well and you had kind of alluded to the fact that you're able to take on all of these things right and i can tell that just we were talking setups before this and your setup sounds much more complex than my setup. Granted, your audio sounds uh, great too. But well, not the point. as far as Film Supply go, uh, Club goes, what made you think even to, to start it? Like, how did you get the idea? And what made you think that it was it would be as successful as it, as it is today? I think, well, I didn't know it was going to be successful as it is today. But I would say that I'm a serial entrepreneur in the sense that I have a lot of ideas and I remember I have, I don't know if anyone knows Wiley Valentine, they do stationary, really high-end stuff. They work a lot with like Lisa Vorce, and, but they're friends of mine and neighbors. And I would be stopped. And I also, it's where I get a lot of my printing and all the boxes printed. But when I would go, every time I'd stop by their office, I'd be like, so I've got another idea. What do you think of this? And they would just roll their eyes at me because I would just have all these ideas, but I wouldn't really start them. 
right? Or, I mean, I had, before the photo report, I had the artist report, and that was, instead of a podcast, it was video interviews, which was a really silly thing to start doing it for my first time because I'd never worked with video. And then you've got, you know, instead of us right now, we're doing this via Skype, screen to screen from across the country, I would have to go and physically be with the person that I'm interviewing. It was a mess. But so that was one thing that I finally like decided I need to just start. And so that's the background is I'm always coming up with ideas and partly this can, we will probably get into this within the wedding world, but you know, I would say for weddings at a certain point, you're trading time for dollars and it's a gig and you are outside of having an associate studio or an education type business, or you're doing workshops, which I also would say is a gig then you are sort of capped at how much time you're willing to, like when you're single, that's great. When you're married like me with four kids, it's really, really difficult to be gone every weekend. So, so there's that balance of like, okay, if I wanted to grow, if I'm wanting to make more money, if in making more money in order to pay for just having four kids in Southern California, at a certain point, like, what do I do? And how do I, so, so I think there was almost if like, if you're visual, which I'm guessing you are, if you're a photographer, you can picture a balloon being squished with all your might. And then it just sort of like, if you put it between your two hands and push it really fast, it's going to like squirt out in different directions. And I sort of feel like that was me for a long time is feeling this pressure of like, I need to figure something else out so that I can, I really enjoy doing what I do on the wedding side but I need to have these other streams of revenue coming in and trying to constantly figure out. So it's, I, I've described it as like throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. And so always have these ideas, but the idea for film supply club that I was listening, I, I listened to tons and tons of podcasts and audiobooks. I read, I, I, for example, I just I had on um, a mutual friend, Jamie Finley, who her and also KT Mary had recommended the book, The Science of Getting Rich. And so I've legitimately listened to this book in the last four days, seven times. So, so I listened to a lot of content and I trying to take it to heart. So I was listening to a book called The Automatic Customer. And in that book, it was talking, like he wrote another book before that I can't remember the name of, but he was talking about how to take a company that you can then position to sell. In the automatic customer, he goes, the one thing that I left out was that the, the biggest value you can add to a company is this idea of recurring revenue. To have something like how Netflix does, any sort of SaaS, software as a system, they are recurring revenue. It's like if you pay, if you pay for Adobe, that is recurring revenue. The, anything where you have this membership base, and so now you're just feeding and building this community and trying, there's a lot of things that come with retention and turnover, and they'll call that churn, and all those sort of things. But I, I heard that, and all of a sudden, I had this light bulb go off my head because I've spoken at conferences like WPPI. I know, and I've shot film over the years, and I know the reps at these at these companies enough where like I have their cell phone number. And so I called up one of these reps, and I said, hey, "I have this idea." And the idea, which I didn't necessarily communicate to him, when I called him, he I was, like was asking, "Like, hey, what do you think of this?" But my idea was like, oh, what if I could get film like as a store and I could then pass on all like all, uh, 
because typically as a store, you're and I didn't know what the margins were with film, which are really tiny. But typically, like let's say it's clothing, because I come out of the I I live in the area where all the surf industry, surf companies are based, and so I have a lot of friends in that industry, and I just know it. And I used to work in retail, so the like for a shirt, a retail store might get the shirt for 10 bucks just as a number and then they're going to sell it for 20 to 25 bucks there's that you know typically it's like a 50 percent markup so what i was thinking was like oh i'll be able to get film as a store and then what if i charge a small membership fee to all my friends and then they were are going to save a ton of money if i can pass that basically that savings on to them i was not going to make any margin on the film. I was just going to sell it for exactly what I bought it for. And then an older gentleman that has mentored me over the years, he was like, ah, (laughs) hold on. I don't think you understand the amount of work that is going to go into. And then also the other expenses that are going to go into like, because none of these film companies drop ship, meaning they, I can't get an order from you, Davey, and then call up Kodak and be like, Hey, got an order from Davey. Can you go ship it to him? It's like, no, 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 no. We will only ship to the store. So I have to purchase the inventory, which was the most stressful thing as I would launched and was growing really fast because I had to guess how much I, I couldn't afford on my credit card. You know, you have a month to pay something off. <laughs> so if I was buying something this month, I had to sell it so I could pay off the credit card to then buy the next batch of film and not go into credit card debt. Because even if I was to have taken a loan, at the time, at a like five percent interest rate, I would have been losing money because my margin was less than the loan on the film. If that makes sense, so the amount of stress that came from buying just the right amount of inventory, guessing how much people were going to buy, having no idea what that was going to be, and so I would purchase film. Sorry, this is a long, long story, but I would purchase the film at and it's back in Illinois. So it would take sometimes about, you know, five to seven days to get after I'd make the order, I'd get the film. So I'd purchase it. By the time I would get the delivery, it was already sold out. And so it was this constant like juggling of, you know, I was packing and shipping boxes of film on an ironing board, then it moved to a tool bench and, you know, all of those sort of things. So I don't even remember what the original question was, but that's, that's sort of like how it started, why it started, and you can ask more questions into that. No, yeah, no, that was fascinating to uh, to listen to. How did you start getting customers for, I mean, to a certain extent too, to make this business model work, right? And because you don't charge a massive membership fee, it, you have to scale it up for it to be ultimately worth your time, right? So how did you start marketing this business? Uh, was it just a matter of, you know, you had put it out there to your friends and then word of mouth, uh, but what did that look like? Yeah, something if you listen to anyone talking or if you read any books in regards to the startup space, they will say like as a company or as a founder, what is your unfair advantage? And the unfair advantage that I had, it's not even that it's unfair, it's just that if some other person who is not a wedding photographer and who was not a photographer, just had this idea, hmm, what if I started this company that sold film to photographers? And they didn't have any friends that were photographers. Like The ability for success in that, outside of like having just ridiculously low prices, which is impossible to do with the margins that we get film for, I do not get that 50% markup that uh, it is tiny. It's really slim. So my unfair advantage for was that I... 
I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself an influencer, but I'm in the upper echelon of the wedding world where I'm friends with all of the, like, I would say most all of the top, top names in the wedding industry. They're my friends, like Jose Villa, KT Merritt, you know, it's like Tech Pataja, Eric Kelly. They're my good friends. Well, I don't know about good, but I really like them and I think they like me and we're, you know, like in that, on that level, it's like, we're friendly. And so when I had this idea, I was able to go to them and be like, hey, I would, you know, obviously I'm setting you up for free. And I just, I did that with like everybody that I knew. The other way that was really successful in the launch was that I sped up the process. I knew WPPI was coming and this was still when people were going to WPPI. And I launched, like the site went live just before I, f- I drove out to Vegas and while I was there, I stationed up at the Richard Photo Lab booth and I filmed all they were doing interviews at the view and I at, at their booth and I filmed all of the interviews that were happening for at the time, yeah, for the photo report. I those are all up on the on the site. But that's sort of I one, I was getting content for that, but two, it sort of just got me like this is where all the film shooters are and this is where I was gonna run into the people that I knew and tell them about it. And that was really how I s- initially spread the word. I would say the other thing that happened was I was really, I think branding is a really big deal. I think you and Krista would, would argue that that is the case as well. But for this, so I had a logo and I designed, basically I've got, I got boxes printed with the logo on it. I had tape designed with the logo on it and I had wrapping paper designed with the logo on it. And as the first year, probably, I was legitimately hand wrapping every film order that went out like a present. Like I was wrapping it with wrapping paper. I was writing a handwritten note to every single order that was going out. And really like outside of like how you were saying when we opened up that this is a product business where the wedding photography is a service business. I have completely approached this as a service business where for me, even like within my wedding work, this company is about the community. This is about like... All I, if people ask me what do I do now, I, I basically say I am supporting freelance entrepreneurs to do their thing well. And so that is Film Supply Club is a tool in that. The Photo Report is a tool in that. Anything, I don't know, the YouTube channel is definitely a tool in that. So it's all of these different components where I'm trying to serve this community of people in a way where they feel really taken care of and really like, yeah, cared for. And I think in the Instagram photography world, when people were getting boxes of film, there almost every day there was photos of people on Instagram stories of getting their packages and basically the unboxing of this like handwritten note. Like they were getting these little presents in the mail and it was film and it was exciting. And so that really helped spread the word as well. Yeah, for sure. And I can see that being the case. I mean, even just getting film in the ugly cardboard box, it, it's satisfying, right? Taking it out and getting it organized, right? So if it's now Instagrammable, you know, I got to imagine that people are sharing it left and right. This is, might be a, a more difficult uh, question to, to answer, but having experience in at least two different businesses here, and it sounds like maybe you've had other projects as well, being a, ser- a serial entrepreneur, if you had to reduce your success as a wedding photographer and founder of Film Supply Club to one or two things what would you say those are yeah that i mean it is definitely sort of difficult to deduce that but i would say with a fair amount of confidence that a lot of it has come down to serving people 
And the way that I am in my photography business is the same way that I'm treating my customers with and the members with films. I really care for them. And I care for serve them and serve their community or serve them as a community and as, as people. Yeah. And I actually like think that people feel taken care of. Members feel taken care of and known. And it's not just like, yeah, it's not just like coming to get a shot, like buying a thing. They're actually like a part of something. Yeah. And there is, I think even for a product-based business and buying film, there is like a trust factor too. You know, you want to make sure you're getting your film from a reputable place. It's nice to know that there is a someone behind the business, right? And so I have to imagine that helps. Film also is a, is, I don't know if it's fair to say that it's more technical than digital, but I would say that there's probably not as much education out there that's as easily as accessible as there is for digital photography. So I think not only uh, are you fulfilling a need in actually supplying people with film, but at the same time, you're doing things like putting content out on your YouTube channel as well. And so have you seen YouTube be an effective marketing tool for Film Supply Club? I really have. It, it has been... So I just launched the YouTube channel less than a year ago. And I would say the growth of that channel has happened fairly quickly. And I've been really, it's been interesting trying to figure out what do we do on the YouTube channel and trying to create content, coming out with a video every single week. We launched by going out to New York and filming with a bunch of different photographers where I was... One, I'm, I'm trying to take myself out of the equation as much as possible, but it keeps, I'm the lowest hanging fruit, so I end up staying as sort of the face of things. But I don't want this brand to be about me. I want it to be about, you know, the community and, and other people within the community. So a lot of the, the first handful of videos was featuring other photographers. Sometimes I would be in the video, but it was really highlighting these other people and how they do what they do and how they shoot what they shoot. Now, most most everything on the channel is not wedding related. And that's sort of intentional because I feel like a lot of people in the wedding space who shoot film know about Film Supply Club. So a lot of the intention behind the YouTube channel has been reaching more of the non-wedding market. I'll call them the cool kids who shoot film. <laughs> and... I've had to have this conversation to explain why I'm spending so much time on YouTube with uh, my wife, with my father-in-law, with, you know, it's <laughs> because essentially you're spending a ton of time and I'm, I'm paying money for you because I've, sometimes I'm paying a videographer. Sometimes I'm paying an editor. Sometimes I'm paying to go to New York for a week, buying flights for myself, buying flights for a videographer, buying flights for my producer, you know, all like it's, I've spent a lot of money on YouTube and you go, okay, well, What's the ROI on that, you know, your return on investment? And the thing that I keep coming back to is I am using YouTube as a way to build brand authority, to build awareness. And there was a third one that I can't think of off the top of my head, but it's, it's really this idea, and community was the other one. And a lot of that too, because so by bringing other people on the show that are way, 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 way more followed than me, we'll have, you know, like, close to a million subscribers on either YouTube or Instagram and being able to have them on the channel and as as a peer, like we're friends. And also to have them on there, it's like, oh, wow, for that sort of an audience, the, of their audience, 
that one, it brings awareness to Film Supply Club and then also brings that authority, like, oh, we're on the same page. And, or at least like this person thinks Film Supply Club is cool, so maybe I should too. <laughs> on that level. And then on the other side is education. One of the things that I've been pleasantly surprised, I don't know if it's surprised, but I, it's been affirming is the better word, is that I've been getting comments on there is that there's a lot of YouTube channels out there that are like film has become popular especially in, in the cool kids world. And there's like the street <laughs> photography in, in that sense. But I mean, even in the wedding world, it's like there's a lot more photographers shooting film than there used to be. Well, you know, yeah. it, after digital came around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking, but, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people that are doing, ultimately, like they have channels that talk about shooting film. But some of the comments I've been getting is that there's a lot of people doing that, but not a lot of people that, have as much not to say like i have this abundance of knowledge but like i'm i sort of know what i'm doing <laughs> and you know i've gone to school for it i've been shooting film for probably 15 years and i and i would say that i do know a few things and so i'm doing a little bit more education around that which that's the part that i've been surprised by and that's again like affirmed by is that people are asking for more like hey be more technical like teach us ultimately yeah, yeah, for sure. This is different, though, I assume, than how you built your photography business. So I'd like to jump uh, back there a little bit. I'm assuming that YouTube wasn't part of the the marketing strategy or the brand awareness strategy for the photography business, but you've built a lot of brand authority over for your photography business. You shoot um, very high-end weddings. You have an editorial side of your business. Um, what did it look like to build that side of the business? And how did you get into that higher-end market? Yeah, it. a lot of it happened over time. Right? Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think that was ultimately my goal. And I wasn't even really trying to... Like, this, starting from the beginning, I wasn't trying to be a wedding photographer. Yeah, it sounded like you were... Yeah, and you were more into you know uh, documenting uh, bands and the snowboarding scene and stuff like that. So, what did that transition even look like? Correct. Yeah. So, coming out of that world, and I would say thirteen-ish years ago, if you were in the commercial space and you said you were shooting weddings, they looked at you like, "Oh, that's cute," <laughs> you know, or they they say those that can't do teach and things like that. But it, it was sort of it. It had a. It still sort of has a frowned upon look, but now I would say the the caliber of talent in the wedding world is huge. So I was shooting that sort of stuff. And the first couple weddings that I photographed were people coming out of, I was shooting editorial or I was shooting for clothing companies, friends that started working in that world. And they were getting married and they wanted something shot like how I was shooting this other stuff. They didn't want it quite as traditional. I knew before I started shooting weddings that I would really like shooting weddings. I just was avoiding them. And so when I photographed the first, I think the second wedding that I ever photographed got featured in almost every blog that was in existence at the time, as well as like, it was either Vogue or Elle magazine featured it. So online and at that stage, then I started getting a lot of inquiries, but what was really, so this is back to establishing brand is because I wasn't desperate. And because I wasn't really trying to do this, I was able to be really picky. And I only was taking on jobs that I wanted to take on. And it was, wasn't as much like I was saying, I would, I would meet with people and be like, oh, sorry, you don't make the cut. No. Nope. <laughs> but it was, I was like thinking through all of that stuff of, it, 
partly like I, it's exciting to build a business when you get inquiries, you're like, yeah, 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 I'll take them, I'll take them. But then at the same time, thinking about it in the way where what is it that I want to be doing? What are the things that are life-giving? What are the things that are life-sucking? So because the first few weddings that I shot, because I had this editorial site that had fashion, that had music and bands, I think when people were seeing what I was putting out there, where it was like really cool people getting married with really stylish, non-typical wedding outfits in non-typical wedding venues at the time, this was like before ranch weddings were really popular, then that's the sort of people that were attracted to my work, right? Like like attracts like to, to a big degree. And that was really establishing, you know, I'm sure you say this to people when you're talking about branding. It's like be really, really conscious about the type of work that you put up on any platform because that is the type of work that you're going to attract back. Yeah. And I think that's like the common thread that I hear from people who break into to higher end markets is, you know, even if they're not picky about who they work with, especially in the beginning, even if there's a lot of hustle there, they're very, very careful about curating their work and what they share, you know, so they're not sharing necessarily everything that they shoot or, you know, hearing from a few people like you who are, who are able to be picky, you know, just in terms of what they shot to begin with, there's still an element of, you know, being very intentional with the work that you actually share, hoping that it leads to, you know, more of that work or to, to, to a specific place. I'm sort of laughing at myself because I'm thinking I, I had, I was picky, but at the same time I went from that first year I shot, I think maybe like six weddings to the next year I shot 65 weddings. Yeah, that's amazing. And, Our peak. and I, I stayed at that pay. I, yeah, that pays for about three years. That's, that's unreal. I mean, I think uh, Chris and I, our peak was uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 45 weddings. And, and after that year, we were like, never, never can we do that again. So, so that's amazing being able to shoot. I mean, obviously that includes uh, doubleheader weekends, uh, of course. So, Yeah, I had one four wedding weekend that was Labor Day where, and I had flights in between two of them. It was <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. So this is actually a little lesson learned during that year. So I had one weekend that had three weddings in it. You know, shooting one wedding is pretty exhausting. Shooting double headers, really exhausting. Triple headers, triply exhausting. And <laughs> the, with that, on the third day, I should have been worked. But I was more energized on the third day than I was on the either two, on either of the other two. And that was such a big tell for me because it showed me like what gives me energy and what gets me excited and what brings me life is the people, the venue, you know, the type of venue, the type of crowd, the style, those things matter a lot to me. And because that third wedding was the groom was this, a hairdresser from Paris, the bride was in the fashion industry in LA, all of their friends were stylish. It was at this venue that was so cool. I think it was Twin Peaks. It was. It's no longer a venue because they had noise ordinances. But it was all of all of the things hit it off. You know, hit it off the tee. And that was just something that I really like noticed that, and I really applied that to a lot of the rest of my work because I I realized okay, if I'm going to continue to do this for a long time, I need to do the things that bring me life versus suck the life out of me. 
Yeah. And I think that's a good a good segue to start talking about. I'd just love to hear your perspective on running two businesses. And for people out there who are listening, who are also you know serial entrepreneurs in the sense that they have a lot of different ideas or they want to start a lot of different projects, do you have any tips or lessons learned from building two businesses? I know personally uh, running two businesses, just the amount of intentionality that you have it you have to have in your day in order to create you know content and just I mean well run the business right it can be a lot do you have any advice for for people like that yeah absolutely I have learned a lot I have nose divin dovin I've had a nose dive <laughs> a lot of times so when I was doing photography at a pretty high volume and we had our first kid back then and I have four now but that was a lot of things to be a lot of events to be shooting and managing. And then on top of that, I was doing other things. And so I brought on an office manager and then had that same office manager for probably five to six years that we had to learn how to delegate was the, was the big thing. And then even more so, so, and then even more so when she left because she started having babies and I had to hire somebody else, I had to really break down, like, what are all of the things that I do and everything that I do? And what are the things, sort of like back on that triple header weekend, what are the things that bring me life? Or what it's more so on, as a business perspective, what are the things that I am good at and should be doing? And what are the things, even if I can do them, what are the things that I'm not as strong at, they don't energize me, that I need to hand off, that are not essential to the business? Part of the, you know, and I had to break down everything and look at what am I good at and figure out ultimately what are my strengths and a lot of that has to do with connecting. A lot of that has to do with client meetings, meeting with people, meeting with customers, meet, you know, that obviously shooting the photos, but almost everything else I had to learn how to delegate. And that's the only, only way to ever be able to scale and not completely implode or crash and burn. Cause I, I had, I got to that point of just doing, I, I said it earlier, I have really, really high capacity, but do that for a long enough time running in sixth gear, you know, the, the engine's going to burn out. And I was starting to redline for a while, but that was, those are the biggest lesson that I would say is figure like the, the only way to grow is to figure out how you can multiply yourself. And the only way to multiply yourself is to figure out what are the, like the few things that you need to be spending your time doing. And then how do you delegate the rest? There's people that edit photos. You could, that's how much time do you spend in front of the computer that you could hand off and be editing photos. There's people that design albums. You can hand that off. And, they, and if you're not selling albums, that's such an easy thing to make so much money is how to like build an album portion of your business. You don't have to know how to do the albums. You can just like, there's companies that do the design for you and sell them for, you know, there's, there's so many easy things that you can be delegating. And I think there's an element of like pride to a degree when you're not able to delegate because you feel it's as a perfectionist, as a creative artist, it, it's, it was really, really difficult for me to let someone else even like write emails for me. It's so hard. But that is the biggest lesson that I learned is like out of necessity having to do it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really solid advice. And I mean, about the, the album design and the photo editing, we've had people on the podcast. So if you're listening, you can check out some of those episodes. Al uh, Aligned Album Design's uh, been on. So check that out. But I mean, as far as delegating goes, I mean, again, solid advice. I would say that for the Davy and Krista side of the business, it took me way longer than it should 
to learn how to give up control of certain things. And then, you know, uh, taking kind of what I had learned from there and realizing after having done it, like, oh, wow, this is incredible. And I'm able to get now so much more meaningful stuff done because I've done that. And we've been able to apply that to the newer business, Till Agency. And it's just grown so much more quickly because we've we've gone in with that mindset instead of, you know, for Dave and Krista, it took us seven, eight years to learn, (laughs) to learn how to delegate. So it really is such a, I think, powerful skill to learn. There's the other part of it too, is you have to think about it. I think the hardest barrier to that is thinking about paying somebody. So now you're, it's like, that means I'm making less money or I've got to pay somebody to do this. But the, the trade-off or the opportunity cost or whatever you want to look at it is that it then frees you up to be able to do X it frees you up to hopefully, you know, the the flip side is you need to be intentional with your time and not just like pay somebody else to do it and then go kick back and watch Netflix. The reason you're doing it is so that you can grow in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Braden, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Can you tell people where they can find more information about Film Supply Club and your other resources from the photo report to your photography website? Yeah, absolutely. And it was a pleasure being on here. Love what you do and how you're doing it. So keep it up. But for the photo report is the podcast. You can go to thephotoreport.com or look it up on any podcast platform out there. And yeah, I've been putting out a lot of content specifically around this COVID time that is just encouraging. I'm trying to, the thing that I've been talking about the most is finding the silver linings and that describing this time is like we've been given the gift of time and so how do you use that time well and that is what i've been talking about a ton on the podcast so go there then there's film supply club which is the website is filmsupply.club but on youtube you can just find it searching film supply club would love for you to check that out if you check out anything just because i've been putting so much time and energy into that and let's say I'm pretty proud of it. I, I like how the stuff's coming out. And yeah, on Instagram, it's either at the photo report or at film supply club. And then my photography stuff, you can go to Braden photography or Braden Flynn at Braden Flynn on the gram. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I said this earlier, but Braden puts out a lot of really great content. So be sure to check that out, uh, especially the YouTube channel uh, and what he's been doing over there. And the podcast as well has had some really, really great people on it. So be sure to give that a listen too. So thanks again, Braden. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands That Book Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review in iTunes. For show notes and other resources, head on over to deviancrista.com.